Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I always like reading a review. Makes it, it makes me oh yeah, people are listening. We are being heard. This is this is going somewhere. <laughs> um, ah, we did get one. All right. All right. What's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics podcast. My name is Daniel. My name is Carl Anker. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, we do this podcast every Tuesday. Remember, if you don't already follow us on the social medias, Twitter, Facebook. Talking Tactics 352, Instagram. Um, follow us on SoundCloud if you would. We're nearing 400 on SoundCloud, so if that's your preferred listening app, go ahead and follow us on there. Also, if you're on SoundCloud, you can leave comments while you're listening to the podcast, so feel free to leave comments. Maybe we'll have to start like a, a section at the end or maybe at the beginning where we reference people's SoundCloud comments. If you're listening on an Apple device, leave a five-star review. If it's five stars, read it on the show. We did get one this week from a guy called May 19, 2012. It says, great show. Five-star review. If you guys ever need a fill-in or a replacement for Carl, let me know. Stay black. <laughs> Carl's here this week. Um, how you doing, Carl? I'm good. I'm good. I'm sorry I haven't been around. I'm, I've been very busy. I've been doing some very interesting things with the Players' Tribune. I hope you've all been reading. Uh, I've also been doing some interesting things with The Athletic. I know some of you might not have been reading that because it's behind a paywall, which is fine. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be here, hopefully, for Champions League weeks, at the very least, going forward. Have Hope has adorned us with his presence. How you doing, Double H? Yeah, man, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. Let's start out with the game of the week. Arsenal-Liverpool, um, the game finished 1-1. Carl, what did you see in the game? How did you How did you view it? It's, it's two points dropped for Liverpool. That's perhaps a tad harsh, but in this new age of the Premier League where Manchester City are historically good and are only going to get better, Liverpool can't afford to drop points against rival top six clubs. Virgil van Dijk could have had a hat-trick. He's told Jurgen Klopp as such. Their midf- Liverpool's midfield was missing something without Jordan Henderson or Naby Keita, which is something I never thought I'd say, especially in regards to Jordan Henderson. But he gets, he works in that system and he understands Jurgen Klopp's midfield system. Um, and Fabinho still hasn't clicked yet. Arsenal, good, good, getting better. They've, they've, they're, they're beginning to get this mental toughness that wasn't there in the last couple of Wenger seasons. They're always going to have a punch's chance as long as they've got Lacazette and Arba. But a point isn't good enough for Liverpool and a point is quite nice for Arsenal as they try and get in top four. Arsenal were more surprising. I thought I thought it was going to be 2-2 but it ended up being a draw. This just shows that, again, like I don't think Liverpool can win the league this season although 1-1 is still a good result. But you've got to give credit to Emery and Arsenal. Like, I don't... The whole thing of running to AFTV to insult Arsenal isn't relevant anymore. As in these guys, it's, it's almost as if they're completely changed. They're no more a joke of a, or a club like they, they were the laughing stock for the past five, six years. That's not the same thing. This is a different kind of team. It will be shout out through that, that, that through ball was sent sensational. And um, Shakiri should be starting for Liverpool. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so at the time of writing, you know, record this on a Monday night. So you can listen to it on a Tuesday. Uh, Shakiri will not be travelling to Red Star Belgrade. Oh yeah, Liverpool's Champions League tie. Um, Jurgen Klopp has said he doesn't. He wants to avoid certain distractions. Much of this is in relation to Shakiri's heritage as a ethnic Albanian. So you may, some of you may remember during the World Cup, Shakiri after celebrating against Serbia, celebrated with the bird celebration upon his chest in reference to his Albanian heritage, of which. The Serbian FA requested an apology from him. Um, no apology was delivered, so he's not. Shakiri won't be playing in the Champions League this week, but he seems to be adjusting very, very well into Liverpool. 
Referencing Arsenal quickly, how do you guys? Because I think it was assumed at the beginning of the season that Arsenal were going to be the sixth team. I, I believe on this podcast before it was the top five in Arsenal. But now that we're seeing, as you guys referenced, this this new Arsenal, as it were, how do you feel this affects the race for Champions League football? I said from the very start, Arsenal come fourth, Tottenham United drop out. My top four has always been City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham United. And I, and I still stick by that. Tottenham have surprised me. They've respect like, Pochettino for me is a tier one manager. That guy is doing an incredible job. Boss. You bought nobody and you're still this consistent. Amazing. But I still feel I'll post put my money on Arsenal to win in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my top four per predictions, I'm sure you can spice in what I actually said, but I said City, Liverpool, Spurs and Manchester United, I believe. I said Spurs for continuity reasons and Manchester United because they're the biggest checkbook. Be- purely because I did not believe Chelsea would... Well, one, I didn't believe Eden Hazard would be staying at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And two, I didn't think Sarri would get Sarri ball so quickly. Um, so Chelsea are far more impressive than I, I believe. I think, you know, they are they are unbeaten in the league and very much the third best team in England. And Arsenal, I think, on balance, the defence is still shaky. Granit Xhaka has improved a lot and was very good against Liverpool. Lucas Torreira is a big thing. Yeah, they, they could very much finish fourth. It, I imagine it's going to be a fight between Arsenal, Spurs and Manchester United to finish fourth. Because I think I think the top three is Manchester City, Liverpool and Chelsea. And then it's it's three trying to get into one. Let's kind of look at the top of the table, the defending champions, um, Manchester City. I mean, I was watching the game and I was looking at the lineups and they kind of went from... <laughs> I knew it was going to be that way. Um, they showed City's lineup first and we were just looking at like their 11 in the bench. It was just like, Jesus, this is such a strong team. And then they showed the Southampton team. I was like, whoa. And they came out, I think it was a goal on six minutes, 12 minutes, 18 then Sterling scored at basically halftime. They're like they were four one. It was just you can't stop this team when they when they show up. It's impossible. It's a foregone conclusion. It's about how much are they going to win it by? How many records do they break? It's not a question as to whether they'll win it or not. It's about by how many points will they win it by? Everyone else is playing for second and top four. Like the Premier League title is, is is done already. Like the squad. Forget the team. The squad is too good. The squad is too good. It, it is remarkable that, you know, you said City by a bit, but City, won't, City will win the league, not by as much as they did last season, but things will happen. Then Kevin De Bruyne gets injured and we're like, okay, we might have a title race. And then it just, they just kept on trucking. Like Kevin De Bruyne is injured again. And right. there just seems to be absolutely no slowing down this Manchester City side, right? So the way they are scoring their goals, I tweeted about this on Sunday, is they, they've got this method of their fullbacks, particularly Ben Mendy, getting really, really wide and whipping in this driven low cross to either front post and the back post. And the other guy just taps it in. Uh, and they scored twice, at least twice that way against Southampton. And it looks really, really easy to, to do. But it's so hard to defend against when it's done properly. Because the pace of the ball, it's like an assist and a half. Because we really have to do is apply one touch to get in the goal. And they can do that. They've also got Bernardo Silva and David Silva who can thread amazing through balls and, and break through the lines. You know, if you look at the current way Liverpool accumulating points, Liverpool could very well finish the season with 90 points or a points total that would have won them the Premier League in maybe half of the seasons previously and not even come close to this Manchester City side. It is frightening. You, you mentioned a point there quickly before we get into kind of potentially the various things. Last season, Jose Mourinho said that finishing second was one of the greatest accomplishments in his managerial career. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like Klopp, if they get those 90 points, could feel the same way? No. I don't think Klopp would, would make an admission like that. I think Mourinho said finishing second was a great achievement. But I think Mourinho finished second last season had a lot more to do with the other top six clubs not getting their various businesses together. I think Klopp wants some hard work now. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think second's good enough. I think when you when you break the world trans, you break the transfer record for the goalkeeper in Allison, which you know has now been beat by Kepper, or and you break the the record for centre back in Virgil Van Dijk, and you spend another large amount of money on Naby Keita, I think you are basically going, "This is it. I'm I'm making my final adjustments because I need to start winning trophies." Right. And I think if this Liverpool side doesn't end the season with a trophy, they'll be disappointed. Not. 
the fans, or we will be disappointed or whatnot, but I think internally within that changing room, I think they want something. They're more than good enough. Um, so we got three questions on the star performer of the Man City game against Southampton, which was Raheem Sterling. Um, so I'm just going to ask all three and have hope you can take whichever one you want or just talk on the subject. Ayman asks, does Raheem Sterling get the credit he deserves? He's in great form, but does not get mentioned when talked about elite players such as Hazard, Salah, etc. Uh, Pac Mouse says, can we all agree Sterling is top five in the world right now? Only Whoa. Messi, Hazard, Mbappe, and Neymar ahead of him. <laughs> and someone else asks, um, what is wrong with people, man? Um, Daniel Vincent asks, um, if Sterling were to score 20 goals and have 12 assists, he already has six goals and five assists now, would we have to call him world class? So I guess people want to call Raheem Sterling world class is what I'm going to deduce from those three questions. What do you think? You know what? First, first of all, credit where credit is due. Sterling has done amazing. This guy went from being what I considered a brick. To, wow. Yeah, he, he was like Sterling was brick. Yeah, at the point he was in the academy. Um, <laughs> once um, Pep got hold of him and everything, no, the, the guy because my biggest gripe was that he had a low football IQ. He what? made really bad footballing decisions. He would overrun with the ball. He would not really know what to do in key tight situations. He would always rely too much on his pace, and it just seemed very unrefined. Pep has come in, has improved his decision making, has improved his footballing IQ, and he just looks like a much well-rounded player. My thing is that he's still tier three. I cannot put him in the same category as a David Silva. I can't do that yet. But he's knocking on the door of tier two. He's knocking on the door. Let's see how this season unfolds because I'm not going to base this based off Southampton, who, again, what, what can, be, can, can be said for how they performed. Let's see what they're doing in the Champions League, what they're doing against Europe, what he does against the big sides before we then revisit the puzzle. Right now, he's still a tier three player. I cannot put him in the same category as a Verratti, David Silva, or a Saudi Mane. Why, 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 have you only, why is David Silva only in tier two? Do you, do you know who's in tier one? No. Please, so, please, <laughs> please, please, please shock me. Hazard is tier one. Messi is tier one. Diego Godin is tier one. Varane is tier one quality, but he's been playing like a brick, so I had to remove him from, from there. And Ter Stegen is tier one. So they're only really about five players in tier one. Interesting. So, so, so for me, I don't believe that David Silva, I think his ceiling is tier two. I think from where he's in his career right now, his ceiling is tier two. Tier one is literally like, again, as I said, am I going to put David Silva in the same category as flipping Messi, Hazard, Godin, Ter Stegen, who are pretty much the best of the best for their position? I, I, I can't do that. How do you feel about like the, the brick emoji that came out? Great, but I, I only want one, one brick. I don't want several. I just want one nice, huge brick. <laughs> you know, once, if they, if they can do that, then I, I, we can roll with that. I just, I just want one brick, not two. One, not one to bring on top of another, another brick. Just one nice, big, good red brick. Okay. Speaking of bricks, I, I gotta fess up. Okay. Marata scored two goals, guys. He's still and classy. they were good goals as well. He's still classy. <laughs> they were good goals. I mean. I think he scored four goals in his last four Premier League appearances and five in his last five at all comps. He's, he's confident again. He's beginning to fill his mojo. He's no longer wearing number nine, which, depending on how superstitious you are, is cursed for Chelsea. Um, he's playing front foot football with Sarri, unlike the counter-attacking style of Antonio Conte, which left him isolated. And he's, he's, he's got backup now. He's got backup and Hazard's trying to get closer to him. William's trying to get closer to him. There, there's just a lot more. He's seeing a lot more of the ball and he's not looking sad <laughs> in, the, in, in like the basic way. He just doesn't look as sad as he did last season. I hope you got any thoughts on Morata or just the Chelsea performance in, in general. Yeah, in I mean, no, for me, I think 3-1, um, I think, was the rightish result. I think it was a case of where Chelsea were finding it hard to break down Palace and I really Palace. How many shots in Saga did they really have? They were relying, they were very much over reliant on Zaha, who that dude has is has amazing ability. Amazing ability. I'm so happy that he chose Ivory Coast over England. Um <laughs> so my thing is it's 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 just the a case of where you've got to give credit to Morata. Two goals after two goals. Should, like you see, you see, you see that's you see that's one at the very end. And this is why I said in my post-match, you know, what Marata should literally be doing in every training session is train on finishing with a lot of time. There should be drills where you're given literally ages to decide what you do with a keeper. Either you dink it, you go early, 
or you go around the key keeper. Because again, fair enough, 3 3 1. Imagine if that was 1 1, April 29th, two points behind the Man City, 90, 92nd minute, and he doesn't score that score one on one. You know, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that, that's, that, 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 that's unlikely to happen. You know, one-on-one. It's, it's, so, so, so for me, I think like with, with, with Chelsea and so forth, I, for me, as I've always said, um, William, better decision making his tier two. The team is still very reliant on Hazard. And I've always, and I've said this, Jorginho, I give you credit, Fabregas will flourish in this system. Yes, he's old. Yes, he's not as relevant as he was back in 2010, 2012. Fabregas is still the best passer in the team. Nobody has a better eye for a pass than Fabregas. Fabregas is a, is a better passer of the ball than Jorginho. No, don't tell me otherwise. So I do think that Fabregas should have a greater... He shouldn't start because he doesn't have the legs and Jorginho is definitely the younger, fresher player. But Fabregas should be given more time and be given a greater role in the, in the team for sure. Absolutely not. Well, absolutely not. It's maybe me. But no, as, as Hope says, Fabregas's legs are gone. you got to bear in mind, Fabregas was playing Premier League games at age of 16. He's got a lot of miles on the clock. He does not have the athletic ability to play a full season of football on the Conte system, let alone a full season of football under the mentally taxing version of Saribor that requires constant recycling of possession and one-touch football. I think Fabregas in the Europa League group games and in the Carabao Cup and in FA Cup games is exactly where he needs to be. He's a squad player. That's about it. I don't think the mental aspect of Fabregas will ever leave. I think that's always going to be what it is. I think he's a very intelligent footballer in that way. When, when you mentioned Conte, Conte was playing two in midfield, which required you know Conte and whomever else to do a lot of running. I think when you have a three in midfield and you have that kind of deep line playmaker, regista, whatever you want to call it, Fabregas, especially, I mean, obviously we're looking at games against Bate Borisov and Videoton and being like, ooh, Fabregas looks good here, so maybe he could do it, you know, in the Premier League. I think that's maybe jumping out of windows, perhaps. But if you put... I, if you it, put, it would work. It should work, in theory. Let's say I'm Leicester City, right, or Everton, and you line up with your midfield three of Fabregas and Golo Kante and one of those attacking players. If you do that, and I'm Leicester City, I'm telling Ndidi, get a Fabregas. Yeah, Right, and I think what's interesting about Chelsea is it's particularly interesting, especially when they start playing weaker teams. I think you can drop Kante. I think Kante is droppable in against weaker teams where you're gonna expect to drop possession. Fabregas doesn't do anything in that side that he's a he's a known weakness and he's a known element. And I think you're rather off not risking it in Premier League games against anyone outside maybe the bottom five. To to your question just about Fabregas being playing games since he was 16 or whatever. Might be a good time to ask this. Uh, the only tap says, do you think fitness diets and other various things like cryotherapy, et cetera, are playing a part in modern players being able to stay at their peak much longer than older generations did? Would greats back in the day have been able to deal with the new pace of the game? Absolutely. I've said this before, and I said that in a, in a very heated argument on this podcast about how any team playing at the top level nowadays would trouble any team playing at top level 10, 15 years ago because football's dramatically changed. I've said mm. you shouldn't. Uh, this, it was a heated argument, so I'm going to keep this moving quickly. When you compare away games, right, it is very different taking a whole day on a bus, traveling from one side of Europe to another on an away game, as compared to now where you can have a private jet or you can get you know very cheap flight and be very, very well sequestered. Players are eating better, sleeping better, and having the sort of injury care and aftercare in order to limit injuries. And that's before you get into the allegedly, allegedly, allegedly about what these players are doing. When, when you look at how allegedly Cristiano Ronaldo uh, is taking ice baths at three o'clock in the, in the morning in order to keep his muscles at the required explosiveness so he can do those sprints in the same way he was doing those sprints when he was 23 years of age, you can see how player performance is different. But on a very basic level, it's not even just the top tier players. Look at what you would expect from a central, central, central midfield player from like a Manchester City or no, a Manchester United or from 1999 and compare them to the sprint numbers from say Leicester City nowadays. When you've got players like Jordan Henderson who average 12 kilometers run in a game now in the Premier League and you compare them to how much people ran in, in the 90s, it's like night and day. Players are fitter, faster, stronger. Whether or not they're you know, more technically proficient is up to debate. It, it, it can be hard to increase technical proficiency at the pace at which we can increase um, athleticism. So I think we've spoken a lot on this podcast about how 
especially in certain leagues and in certain teams, you can just field 11 sprinters and get a decent amount of results rather than fielding, I don't know, four or five technically great football players, which I feel is how half hope prefers football to be played. But, you know, on a, on a basic level, when, when you compare someone like Lewandowski to Andy Cole, that's a very interesting contrast on what, like, changes in modern football and diet and tactical awareness can do compared to everyone else. I think the average 14-year-old in the academy now knows far more about football than the average 14-year-old who was playing in 1996 just because they play FIFA now. Like, I didn't truly know what a midfielder did at the age of seven, whereas now seven-year-olds, because they're playing FIFA and not on the team, no difference between a defensive box-to-box midfielder, an attacking box-to-box midfielder, and what Jorginho does. You know what? You brought up Manchester United strikers, and you haven't been here in a few weeks. So I'm going to give you a chance as a card-carrying member of Martial FC to talk about this real quick before we move on to like the lower end of the table that you so desperately want to talk about. Four goals in Martial's last three appearances. What are you seeing? Why do you think this is happening now? It, it seems the guy's the guy's playing consistent football again, and the, guy, the guy's playing consistent football. The guy is rekindling his partnership with Paul Pogba, United's best football this season has come from Paul Pogba passing to Anthony Martial and vice versa. And he finally seems willing to run behind, run in behind. Uh, football fans, if you're particularly interested in, in Manchester United, I recommend Daniel Harris, uh, freelance writer, writes for The Guardian sometimes. He watches Manchester United home and away and very much says, this is perhaps the first season where Martial is going, actually, yeah, I am going to make that near post run. Yeah, I am going to try and run behind the fullback and stretch the play open. He's figure, he is simultaneously figuring out what he wants to do, and he's also getting a good run of form. Uh, and that's what you're going to get. You're going to get four goals in four games. Although, at the same time, I think his goal total is the same as Morata's. So, it's all about <laughs> perception. All about perception. Morata's an out-and-out striker, to be fair. Martial plays on left wing. So, uh, Half Hope, I saw you got into an argument about Martial. No, basically, he said that the reason why, and maybe Carl can speak more on this, um, the reason why, basically, Mourinho needs to be given credits for Martial's good run of form. And the reason why Martial isn't a team performing well is because he's listening to Mourinho's instructions. And me and um, Adam, the, the guy who was next to me there, we both said, no, this has nothing to do with Mourinho. Mourinho had to pick Martial because everybody else was being a brick and everybody else was underperforming. So he forced his hand. And we, because and then Terry then said that, oh, based on um, Martial running more, doing more running was the reason why he was in the team and why and what's led to his goals. And I said that, what the hell does running more have to do with Martial being at the right place at the right time or that amazing finish he had in that game against Everton? So we were saying that, no, Mourinho, if if it, if Mourinho had his way, Martial wouldn't be in the team. Martial was in the team because, bro, nobody is playing for you. You need to refuse everyone you can get. You need all the help you can get. So he had to resort to Martial. Not, he, didn't, he didn't go to Martial by choice. It was His hand was forced based on how the desperate position that, that he was in. And and I think and I said to him that like Martial will not flourish under Mourinho. This run of form will not happen for a long period of time. He will sit in spots like this, but Martial won't have like an amazing player of the year season under Mourinho because they, the way that they view football and their philosophies are completely at odds with one another. Martial had a very interesting had a similar run of form before December last year where he, you know, he was turning it on. He had that famous, famous? He had that very entertaining nutmeg against uh, Andros Townsend and seemed to be, you know, turning the screw and becoming the player that we all wanted to be. And then we signed Alexis Sanchez and then he, he looked ousted. Manchester United are not a good attacking unit. Manchester United are not a good defensive unit. Mourinho spoke very candidly about how he's trying to find the correct balance. In, in how he can approach football games and that he needs to find a way that... And I think Van Gaal had a similar problem of because of the way Manchester United have accumulated their players and because it's been so many managers in such a short space of time all with different versions of how they want to play football since Ferguson retired, um, it is very hard to protect that defence, which is quite poor, and also enable that top-heavy, lopsided attack. There is the makings of a top four challenging side in that in the current personnel Mourinho has there. My next piece for, for the athletic will be about how Nemanja Matic probably needs to get dropped for Ander Herrera um, in order to you know better facilitate that balance. But at the time for the, you know they're gonna play Juventus on Wednesday. I'm imagining Juventus is gonna beat them with ease. I think a draw will be a very good result for Manchester United. 
and they don't look set to finish in the top four. I prefer I prefer Jardim as as the manager on a long term project with a director of football. I'd also take Antonio Conte on a short term project. Conte. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. I saw, I saw like he's closer to the Real Madrid job now that he, he's not getting the Real Madrid job. Sergio Ramos vetoed it. <laughs> well, that's that then. Sergio Ramos um, said. Sergio Ramos said, uh, "There's more to my Real Madrid than management tactical. You need to be able to manage the the dressing room and manage the egos." Which is basically saying Conte is a bit of a dictator and disciplinarian, and that is not how you work at Real Madrid. Which I think is fair. I think if you look at all the great spells of Real Madrid and where they've been the most profitable and the most successful. It's when they've had a manager who is known more for their ability to deal with egos and behavior of the players and mood management rather than great tactical developments. Real Madrid don't invent brand new astonishing tactics. They buy some of the world's best players and they get a babysitter, and the babysitter helps facilitate the play, which is what, and that's that's fine. Like, I think we need to, you know, give a growing awareness to the importance of emotional intelligence in football, and, and that's why I also think that Mourinho is no longer fit for purpose in the top football club because he doesn't have the same emotional range and empathy that Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Pochettino, Sarri have. Are we going to mention Matic and the puppy thing, or can we leave that for another day? Please, we have to. Um, I'm, right. I'll mention this really quickly. Uh, Nemanja Matic didn't wear a poppy against Bournemouth on Saturday and released a Instagram statement today, being Monday, explaining that while he had worn a poppy previously, he preferred to not wear one anymore because the, the symbol of the poppy reminds him of when he was 12 years old and his village in Serbia had been bombed as part of NATO-sanctioned strikes during the troubles in the Balkan region. Um, and he says he, he means no disrespect to people who have lost in conflict and those who currently serve, but he uh, would prefer to not do so. In other news, the FA has warned uh, James McLean, because James McLean, in his Instagram comment, referring to some of the criticism he gets, so James McLean from... Is he still at West Brom? No, he's at Stoke. Currently, now currently playing for Stoke, has not worn a poppy on his shirt, I believe in his entire career, because he comes from Derry in Northern Ireland, where the 1972 massacre, Bloody Sunday, occurred, which was uh, conducted by the British Army, where the British Army essentially walked down the street and murdered 14 civilians who were partaking in a peaceful protest. James McLean is from that region, as such does not want to wear a poppy because he believes what he believes, and he believes that he, he wearing such would be disrespectful to where he comes from, which is very, very fair, and he's explained this numerous times. And it, it's become a bit of a farce how every single year some people in football will uh, make numerous death, thre death threats and say certain vile things about James McLean. So McLean, again, not wearing a poppy this season, again, got some horrific abuse on social media and at, at this weekend's game, and McLean has said, you know, you never, ever be able to break me, which is good. But I think he used the swear word as well, so now the FA is kind of annoying, annoyed at him. He said you really wanted to. Because I feel quite strongly about this, and because I've really been following the whole McLean thing for many years. Because I think I remember, because every single time it has happened, I always look at it very, very um, particularly. I don't wear a poppy. Ever since I left school, I decided not to wear a poppy. Because I have my own personal reasons for why I don't wear a poppy, you know. Um, one of them being me Nigerian. And my view on England, Britain, the empire, the army, and so forth. Again, this is not this podcast for that. But I have my personal reasons. And my thing is that if someone chooses not to wear a poppy, what gives the right to threaten his life, his family's life, um, sing anti-Irish things, all anti-Irish epithets, and race down and literally try to threaten the dude. You see, once people do that, why the hell should you wear a poppy? It's almost as if when back in the days when I went to school where I was forced to go to church. So by you forcing me to, to go to church, I now actually rebelled when I was in, in church now. So by threatening people and insulting people for not wearing a poppy, why the hell should you not wear a poppy now? <laughs> you know, so you're almost negating the whole point of wearing a poppy. So even he will even triple down his, his view of not wearing a poppy. And I think that 
it just shows you just how stupid humanity can can be you know because you are asking someone to wear a puppet to try and because again it's like a good gesture so it is all it's all done with a good gesture to try and remember those who died in the world was and and so forth and he gives his reason for not doing so and your reasoning is now to now insult him then the guy mclean he will now view the poppy and everything surrounding it under a bit of an of of of, of an if he can because say wait, wait wait a minute so because i'm not wearing this this is now how you react and it's it's messed up so yeah that's what with me because i i, I never wear a poppy i do 100 percent understand where mclean is coming from would you wear a poppy, Daniel? That's that. That's as a, as as a Canadian. I remember in school we had to, and like we would go down to like um like kind of a, a veteran cemetery, and we would mm. put like Canadian flags and things on on the graves of the soldiers and things like that. Um, what knowing what I know now, and just kind of my political landscape now, I probably wouldn't because it's not a political statement I would want to make. But if I was raised in the uk maybe i'd have a, a different view about it I'm, I'm probably not the person to ask really <laughs> you're trying to get me in trouble huh <laughs> <laughs> all right okay fine no, you don't have to answer you can you can be, be political and not answer man fair enough fair enough you you always tell us that we're an elitist podcast or at least no you call me elitist anyway um that i don't mention the bottom half of the table enough so i'm going to give you two minutes three minutes at max you can pick one club or two clubs from the bottom 10 and you can tell me what you're thinking about whichever clubs you pick, all right? What? No, that's not how I want to do it. Fine. Okay. All right. We'll play your way. We'll, we'll do it your way. Okay. 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 So as we're, as we're recording right now, um, Huddersfield are playing against Fulham. Huddersfield are a goal up. The current joke is, can you name two Huddersfield players? Ooh. <laughs> Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Just name me two I Huddersfield can't. players. I, I can't. I don't think I can. Yeah, I named Gross. He plays with Brighton. That's how bad I am at that. Do you know what? Yeah, I was thinking that, but I was like, just it, it's the blue stripes, white stripes, or something like that. So I didn't want to be tricked in that way. Um, are we actually so, going to sit here until I can think of one, or are you just going to go? <laughs> I'm going to go for it. Leicester City beat Cardiff 1 um, 0. Obviously, that was uh, the, the main story coming out of that game was, was the tribute to Leicester City's owner and how the city is learning to take each step as it, each day as it comes. Credit to Leicester City, they, they, the players there visited Thailand on the Sunday for the funeral and have been carrying themselves with amazing uh, strength, grace and dignity. So all the best to, to those involved at Leicester City and to those mm. in Leicester as well, going through a very difficult time. Elsewhere, Everton beat Brighton over Albion 3-1. Really, something I really want to point out is Richarlison and Richarlison's continued development as the central striker for Everton. Um, Silva, Marco Silva said that when he was at Watford, his original goal was to turn Richarlison into a striker, but obviously left Watford due to Everton reasons. And now they're reunited at Everton. He, he's picked, he, you know, he put Richarlison again so he can finish the project. And it, it seems to be doing well. Everton still have problems at the back. They, they Jordan Pickford has not been able to keep a killing sheet in a long time now. Um, but from my understanding is Everton fans are mostly happy because the football is fun again. And I think after after Ronald Koeman, Sam Allardyce and David Unsworth and that noise, they're, they're willing to, to take just a few games where you're scoring three or four goals if you end up in the same place in the, in the league table. So fair play to him. Newcastle beat Watford 1-0. Surprising loss for Watford. I think they're, they're beginning to, I don't want to say peter out because they, they won last week, but their season is, is very topsy-turvy. Great for Newcastle. They need the win. They're, they're out of the relegation zone. West Ham 1-4-2. Felipe Anderson is now apparently taking over the creative role off Yarmolenko. Um, Burnley's defence is rotten right now. Sean Dyche is in a lot of worry because that bizarre defensive system they were using last year where they were blocking a lot of shots doesn't seem to work anymore. Tarkovsky especially looks very much off the pace. Wolves lost 3-2 to Tottenham Hotspur. Spurs were good and then were very bad. Kieran Trippier is another player suffering a really bad World Cup hangover. Didn't back up Juan Foyth, eh, who's making his debut in the Premier League. Juan Foyth gave away two penalties. Wolves are comfortable rapidly. Predictions of them finishing so maybe a bit far of the mark. I think Everton are probably a better shout. So that's about it. Shall we look at Europe? Yeah. Um, did Did anybody watch the Barcelona game? I caught the highlights, but I didn't watch the whole game. I thought, did you Did you catch it? I mean, I watched it 
so we left the house. Me and these guys, I was watching it. We left the house at two one. So I missed. The, oh the no! Like Barcelona were down two one, and in the last, I guess, three minutes, Dembele mm. scores, and I think eighty seven, eighty eight, and then Suarez scores, and and added time, kind of rescued victory from what seemed defeat. Um, so that without was Messi game. again, without without Messi. Messi. Um, the big game I think that happened in Spain was Real Madrid beat Valladolid 2-0 in uh, Solari's first game, steadying the ship there. We got any thoughts on that? Oh, Vinicius. So Vinicius Jr., the 18-year-old Brazilian youngster, Real Madrid signed. He's been playing for Castilla, Castilla, the, their B-side. Um, signed to Solari. He's basically like, I'm the interim manager. Like, I'm not going to be here forever. I may as well field this young kid now. Uh, and it seems to be working. He didn't start. He came on for Asensio, I think, in like 70 minutes, somewhere in there. And then in the 80s, he got the deflected goal that was an eventual own goal. Benzema won the penalty. Oh, okay. And for your striker who has such a crazy goal drought, I think it's crazy for the defender to take that said penalty. 1-0 near the end of the game, your main striker is on a goal drought. <laughs> just for his, just, I mean, just, just, just for a psychological boost. I would have given him the penalty. Like if if he scores it, then you know what? Just get the hell off the. Ramos is, according to the call, Ramos can decide who the manager is going to be or isn't going to be. So you really think Benzema is going to take a penalty from him? Oh no 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 no! <laughs> I, I I fully understand. That. I'm just saying what should happen. What does happen is look, Ramos is going to take that down penalty. But what should happen? And it was a, I was going to say it was a very good penalty as well. It was a, a Panenka. But bro, your striker hasn't scored in what six, seven, eight games. I mean, you know, give him a go. All right, uh, German football. Dortmund won, Munich drew. So I think could this be the year, table. man? Could this be the year? I spoke about this on the Totally Football Show podcast uh, about how it's the magic of Lucien Favre. So Lucien Favre teams both so Dortmund now and Nice previously, um, and when Favre was at Borussia Mönchengladbach, um, they <laughs> what? <laughs> what I do? <laughs> it just sounded funny. Money and Gladbach. It's Munchen Gladbach. I think Sorry. is how you say it. Munchen Gladbach. <laughs> Go ahead, man. We we got you. We uh, we understood. We understood. I'm sorry. I uh, but yeah, Lucia Favre teams frequently outperform their expected goals scored and their expected goals conceded in a way that basically all the people with spreadsheets can't explain. He's he's found. I don't know if he's found a cheat code or if you know the stats aren't as good as we think they are. But Favre gets an extra five or ten percent out of every single team he's in charge of. Something's particularly interesting about this Dortmund side now is how everyone is sort of deferring to Marco Royce. So Royce now, 29 years of age, didn't win the World Cup in 2014 because he had that terrible anchor injury. Seems now to be getting a good run of form. He's now changing his game and becoming this elder statesman. Jaden Sancho says, if Royce tells him to do something, I do it. And loads of the players at Dortmund are basically following Marco's lead. They've got a four-point lead at the top of the Bundesliga. Something I find remarkable is basically, there was all this talk about Bayern being in crisis, but they're only four points behind. A lot of this was, in fact, due to the international break. In the last international break, Bayern Munich's manager, Niko Kovac, moved from a 4-1-4-1 to a more orthodox 4-3-3-esque style, which basically gave them basically another player in the, in the middle of the park. Sometimes it's Hammers, sometimes it's someone else, but basically someone to, to help Thiago progress the ball vertically. Um, and now they've just run up the table. I would really like Dortmund to win Same. the Bundesliga, especially because at the time of recording, the trial in regards to the Dortmund bus attack has very recently com completed. Um, there's a fantastic article on Bloomberg explaining the perpetrator, the reasons behind the bus attack, and it essentially talks about the effect it had. You've got to bear in mind, the Dortmund players played 24 hours after Bartra nearly died. Nuri Sahin, a man who absolutely adores Dortmund, admitted that he couldn't continue to live in the area for too long and, and left to go to Werder Bremen. Um, Thomas Tuchel basically said, this is what's occurred here is not appropriate and I very much like to leave and that's why he's a PSG. It's, it's taken them roughly until now to truly recover from that attack and I think it'd be quite nice for them to, to do something 
in terms of silverware soon. Again, I mean, again, maybe I'm, I'm mistaken. I think I thought that the reason why Tuchel left was him and the director, I think, and Votskas or something, they were at odds with transfer policy. And yes. he wasn't supported transfer policy-wise. And I think basically they had a massive argument, huge argument. And he decided that he had to go because he wasn't being... Because basically they, they didn't get along. Yeah, and that is very true. And, and also the, the, also there is a percentage to do with how Tuchel believes the club dealt with the aftermath of that attack yeah, yeah, yeah. and what Tuchel believed he was expected to do after that attack. It, you know, a uh, football team came very, very close to being severely injured so their stock price would go down two years ago. And yet very few of us think about it that often because the game that they played after the immediate attack where they were all still shocked was, uh, of course, the christening of uh, one Mbappe. So, you know, that might be a kind of tragic, but a convenient segue to talk about PSG. Yeah. Um, Tucho, Mbappe, Neymar, Cavani, all of them. 12 games, 12 wins in League A. A new record points. means nothing. Means nothing. Is means there any nothing. point to French football? We will get... You know what? Do you guys want to have the Super League conversation now? Uh, afterwards. Okay, okay. So, PSG, they're fun to watch, you have to admit. Like, I think they've... Oh, scored, for sure. They scored 41 goals. The next closest team in France, I'm seeing here, has 22. They beat Lille, Lille who are in second place. <laughs> they beat Lille 2-1. Lille, who have bounced back and make dramatically. So last season under Marco Bielsa, the plan was to blood a number of youngsters and play Bielsa ball, which hasn't didn't work. And this year they've they've really sorted things out. But yeah, it's Mbappe's averaging a goal every sixty-seven minutes. It's a joke. It's a joke. The the title race in PSG is done, and now it is a race of can Tuchel get this team to sort themselves out in Europe. Wrong one for the job. And imagine they win 12 out of 12. And if they lose against Napoli, I think they're going Europa League. Possibly. Yep. That, 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 <laughs> that, is, that is the game. It is very possible PSG could be playing Europa League football. But at the same time, it's very possible Napoli could be and or Liverpool could be. That group is nicely poised. Um, mm. Tuchel, I very much believe Tuchel is, is the best manager to sort out that changing room. Much like Real Madrid, it's tactical innovation and also emotional intelligence. And Thomas Tuchel is one of the best at combining those two things. I think if, if I, I think for me, like I get where you're coming from, but you see, I use the Zidane example because yes, you're right in a sense of when you're dealing with egos, you need a very delicate emotional touch. You, you can't have a full authoritarian because again, maybe I was wrong by said, Oh no, I needed a full dictator there. No, no, no. But you see, Zidane was, was perfect because if you're a big time player with a huge ego, Zidane walks into the dressing room. You're like, look, it's Zidane. <laughs> Tuchel walks into the dressing room. Okay, what did he do? Who are you? You've not won anything major as a manager. You didn't really, you did nothing major as a player. Who are you? Those so Neymar and Mbappe won't really feel that they have to fully listen to you and they can do what they want. Zidane walks into that dressing room. Neymar knows what Zidane did. Mbappe, as a Frenchman, knows exactly what Zidane did because we saw the picture with him and Henri when Henri was young. So. Already, there's already that air of accountability once Zidane comes and that's Tuchel just doesn't have. If I can offer up a counterpoint. Apparently, when Laurent Blanc walked into the PSG changing room when he first came in, they had, it wasn't quite PSG as we know them, but you know, they, had, they had their money, they had their pe oil, petrodollars, they had uh, Edison Cavani, <laughs> they, had, they had Ibrahimovic and whatnot. Apparently, Laurent Blanc's opening changing room speech was, who here has won a World Cup? Only me. And it didn't work. Laurent Blanc was their most successful manager in Europe, but that technique did not work. Laurent Blanc is in, is in Zidane. But, but I think you overlook the fact that Zidane's thing specifically worked because Zidane was at Real Madrid. And at Real Madrid, he had mm. Perez backing him. Perez was never... Once Zidane won, wins that first Champions League, because he remember, he was, the, he was the... But more or less the... Okay, we'll have you for once. We'll have you to look after Rafa Benitez. But at the same time, we're not really expecting you to do anything and want to move you on at the end of the season. Once he wins that first Champions League, Perez goes, oh my God, the guy who I spent all this money on, he's the guy. He's truly the guy. Perez signed uh, Zidane from Juventus after meeting him in Monte Carlo and he slid him a handkerchief, basically saying, would you like to come to Real Madrid? Perez adores Zinedine Zidane. He thinks he's one of the best players he ever bought. He thinks he brought Real Madrid 
unprecedented success as a player. He defended that guy to death. And if you look at Zidane's league record, there were numerous times where Zidane very much could have been fired, but he wasn't because Perez did not want to fire Zidane. Right. That does not exist if Zidane goes to PSG. Like, again, winning a Champions League is hard. It is so hard. And uh, it's, I think Tuchel's, Tuchel's got this PSG side playing the best football this PSG side has ever played. Tuchel has the correct balance of man management and, and discipline. So in last weekend, Mbappe was dropped to the bench because he was late for the game. He was late for the game for PSG for, for a team meeting because he wanted to watch the very first half of the Classico. And Tuchel, all right, you're on the bench. Mbappe comes off the bench, scores the winner. And when he, we, when Tuchel, when Tuchel was asked, why did you drop Mbappe? He said, I expect more of Mbappe. When Mbappe was asked why he was dropped, he goes, this team needs leaders. And I think one day I can be a leader. And I, one day I hope I can, can grow and become a leader. When you look at what Tuchel has done in essentially dropping Neymar to more of a 10 position and letting Mbappe and Cavani play as more orthodox number 10s, how that gives a greater, you know, greater balance because Neymar is no longer asked to, to press or do some defensive work on the wing. Um, Tuchel has got this PSG side playing good football, but at the same time, it might not mean diddly squat because it's the Champions League. It, it's, right. There is no amount of money on the world that can prepare you for going to Naples. There is no amount of money in the world that can prepare you for a magical night at Anfield. It takes time. You know, it, it took Chelsea a decade. To, it took United a decade to figure out the Champions League. It took Chelsea a decade to figure out the Champions League. Arsenal were in there for 15 years and still couldn't quite figure it out. It's taken City a decade. And it's only now that City are realistically looking like Champions League contenders. But even now, Pep Guardiola is saying, I think we're not ready yet. That is bullcrap. I think I think the I think the current two favourites for the Champions League this season are Juventus and Manchester City. Mm. And Barcelona. Never Barcelona read. more than Man City. Yeah. Like Barcelona are my favourites personally. Italy. We can do Italy. Inter won five zero. Juventus won again three one. Um Milan Napoli. won. And yeah, Napoli won on Friday against Empoli five one. So half hope, what did you see from from Italy? No, I, th- I think, no, really, the, the biggest thing was Napoli. Um, again, this was their game before the huge game on Tuesday against um, PSG. And Mertens, man, yeah, like, I think I am surprised by Ancelotti. I really felt that Ancelotti would struggle. And without sorry, this Napoli team would struggle. But I look at it, these guys are playing some nice football, really good pass and move football, Mertens quality. And man... Koulibaly might be top three, top four defenders in the world, man. I think this guy is really knocking on the door of being a tier one defender. I the really like how much you like him. I really enjoy how much you like him. Oh my God, he is amazing. Like, it's almost as if when, if you were to play on, on the park, he's one of those guys you would just watch him be like, wow, that guy's a damn good footballer. Like, as far as he knows how to defend, he knows how to play out from, from, from the back, great passing, great balance and grace on the ball. It was his run that led to, to the first goal. Just the epitome of the modern de- the defender, quality defender. Current rumours that AC Milan may be getting rid of Gattuso, who has led AC Milan to fourth, and maybe replacing them with Arsene Wenger, which I don't understand why, because Wenger would not be the perfect match for the current personnel AC Milan have. No, However, no, you remember you're, when you you know factor in that Gazidis is currently at AC Milan, it all sort of makes sense. Mm. Um, we've got Champions League games very great. Uh, I'm going to blast through these Champions League fixtures. I'm just going to, I'm going to tow the tie and you just tell me who you think is going to win. Uh, Red Star, Belgrade versus Liverpool. Liverpool. Inter Milan versus Barcelona. Barcelona sneak it. But I may change this when I do my preview. Okay. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur versus PSV. Uh, draw. That, a draw would put Tottenham out. Uh, Tottenham win. Okay. Monaco versus Club Bruges. Monaco. Club Bruges. Because I feel sorry for Henri. Yeah. Monaco, Monaco aren't very good anymore. And I don't think uh, Henri... I said, if they lose, I don't think I don't think I don't think Henri's up to task. I, I Club to go, Bruges? Club yeah, Bruges. They, they drew. They drew a fortnight ago. Where where, where is Club Bruges? In Belgium. Belgium. Damn, you guys knew. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> How's well, that? No, 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 these guys are known, man. Club Bruges are known, man. They're no, no, next, uh, next Napoli next. versus PSG. Ooh. I know, nah, nah, you. I, I can't say. I can't. I can't say. say I can't say. Uh, Porto versus Lokomotiv Moscow. Uh, Porto probably. Schalke versus Galatasaray. Kalatasaray. Oh, Wednesday's fixtures. Benfica versus Ajax. Ajax. Fantastic if Ajax get into knockout rounds again. Uh, Bayern Munich versus Athens. Bayern. Bayern draw. Bayern. It's at home. It is at home. 
Um, okay, um, no draw, still a draw. Leon versus Hoffenheim. Oof, Leon. tough Leon because I think Leon are at home. Manchester City versus Shakhtar Donetsk. They're gonna get destroyed by a, by like ten. Ten. Uh, CSK Moscow versus Roma. I also say Roma. Roma win it. Victoria Pilsen versus Real Madrid. Real Madrid better win. Valencia versus Young Boys. Young Boys. Young Boys. Young Valencia boys. trash, Young boys. bro. You're not. You're not gonna rate Michi. Interesting. Michi Young might boys. score, but they're not gonna win. And Juventus versus Manchester United. Juventus. Juventus. Yeah. That's our Champions League fixtures done. I hope you enjoyed the, our preview. We need to talk about the Super League. I have 15 minutes here for the rest of this podcast, and we can talk about the Super League if you want. So I'll start the clock now. Okay, so Carl, do you want to introduce, like, I'm not exactly sure how these documents came to surface, but I'm pretty sure you probably have a beat on that, so you can take the... Uh, German publication, Die Spiegel, who have been doing some fantastic sport reportage this year, have uh, worked in conjunction with a website known as Football Leaks. Football Leaks is well known to, to, to reveal where certain footballers are putting their tax money or hiding their tax money um, and has basically found out that rank corruption and siphoned off money from a number of top Champions League sides, most notably Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City. And this has been, in fact, aided by now current FIFA president Gianni Infantino. Gianni Infantino. So when he was UEFA general secretary, he basically looked the other way when uh, City and PSG were being given large amounts of money by their various petrodollar backers. And basically they would write it off as charity work. So City would be given, let's say, 200 million from their Abu Dhabi backers. And Infantino would allow it to be written on the books as two million in order to get around FIFA fair play. Cool. Uh, so ba- basically, there there is there is 218 million euros missing from PSG and 188 million euros missing from Manchester City. So that that's that's part one. Um, part two is this amazing four part story that's going to be published on Deutsche Spiegel uh, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week. I recommend you read this as it comes out. We're going to leave a link in recommended reads for part one. Um, and that, that one's very specifically on how Manchester City are spending their money and doing whatnot. I don't want to get too much on City, but it does make it very, very funny whenever City fans go, there's a UEFA conspiracy against us. Because you're like, well, no, mate, they've literally looked the other way around when you've got an extra 200 million euros. So I think they quite like it. Apparently, there is a plan for five English teams to break away from the Premier League and join a supposed European Super League. The five teams in question, I believe, are Manchester United, Manchester City, Tottenham Hotspur, Liverpool. It's, no, it's, 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 it's United, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool. Yep. Okay, my mistake. Uh, so those those are the five teams that are meant to be joining the Breakaway League. Um, of the all the of the twenty teams supposedly named in this European Breakaway League, nearly every single team named in this document. Nope, nope, nope. That's not us. Absolutely not. I, I, I don't know how that got there. Um, but it, it does speak to this. This has been a long time coming and this has been long rumoured. Essentially, in the leagues that are very much a foregone conclusion, so in, in, in Germany with Bayern Munich, in Italy with Juventus, in Spain with Barcelona and Real Madrid, there it, this is what we know for a fact. We, we know that these clubs are envious of the amount of money the Premier League gets. We, we know these clubs are going, we've, we've sorted out our, our domestic league. We can, we can do this all at the same time. But at the same time, we would like our brand to be as big as the Premier League brand. And we can't do that while still being attached to our dom- domestic leagues. Is it possible for us to break away and join all these other clubs across Europe and create a, a sort of perpetual Champions League where we can forever get that money? As I said before, Juventus are currently earn less money than Liverpool. They earn less money than top hotspur sometimes. Like, this, this, there is rank inequality in between being the best club in Italy and opposed to being one of the fourth best clubs in England. So that's going on. At the same time, you, you know, there, there is apparently a, a growing awareness of some of the historically good football teams. So historically good football teams that aren't currently in 
guaranteed European football or like getting high earnings who would like to have that again. So uh, AC Milan is very often named in these things. Manchester United has been named in these things quite often now that Manchester United aren't constantly getting to Champions League quarterfinals. They're talking a lot with AC Milan, apparently basically going, is there a way that we can leverage the fact that we are a historically good football side and, is, and a massive brand name in order to secure our financial futures and earn Champions League money regardless of whether or not we qualify for the Champions League. Um, and, and that's and I think that's sort of the genesis between behind the European Super League. This is, this is something that's been rumoured since I was eight years old. Like I remember being in school and reading the back page of a newspaper and apparently they were going to call it the Phoenix League with, with, with teams from England, Spain, our Rangers and Celtic want to join us as well and it was going to completely change football and do whatever. This, this thing happens every two or three years. Rumours that there's going to create a breakaway Super League and it still happens around Champions League group stage season. But the interesting about this Football League thing is that this seems to be the most substantiated version of this to date. This isn't just a whole bunch of clubs meeting before the ICC preseason tournament going, wouldn't it be nice to do this every year? This is apparently a lot of paperwork from a lot of clubs going, yeah, I would like to make sure my team that's just won, that's just come second in the French league, earns more money than Burnley. Mm. I don't want it to happen. I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's wrong for football. I think it, it it's. It, I've said it before in this podcast. It, it's becoming increasingly difficult for me to watch the top one percent of football and be morally sound, especially in this league stuff about what they're revealing about Manchester City and what they're revealing about Paris Saint Germain. And when you read about you know who Manchester United are making their deals with, I am increasingly feeling less like a football fan or a supporter and more of just someone who hands my wallet over. It's a Levin Sports deal where I can't watch La Liga or Serie A unless I've got this Levin Sports thing. I'm, I, don't, I don't want to pay this much money to enjoy football. And I think the Super League will make that only worse. And therefore, if the Super League happens, I think that might be the end of me supporting Manchester United Football Club. I think I'll probably be like, yeah, actually, I'll just watch non-league and be done with it. You've, you've said that you support the idea of this thing. And I want I want to hear why I haven't heard like really anybody be like yeah let's do this, um, so now's your chance. So basically for me it's 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 a bit complicated. Obviously my idealistic football purist self is like this is a bad idea this is horrible this is against all the pure values of football. Juventus have won the Serie A seven times in a row. It's going to be eight this year. PSG are going to embarrass the the gong again. Um, Bayern Munich. That's a bit different, and Bundesliga is a bit different. So let's just see what happens in the Bundesliga right, right now. I, I believe City are going to win the Premier League this year, and as long as Pepe is there, he'll keep on winning it. And this all goes back to the trend of what's happening in football right now. The, the money is out of control, and no one cares. I kept on saying salary cap, salary cap, salary cap. How the NBA and NFL is run with regards to a salary cap, that's how things should be. You can do that. You can't do that in football. You can do that in NFL, and you can do that in the NBA because there's only one league. You can't create a salary cap across multiple leagues. No, but a theory of having a cap on how much you spend to try and create some sort of a parity. It doesn't have to be exactly like the American system, but some a variation which would still... The financial fair, fair play, what the hell have you losers done? You guys were supposed to come in and police and keep tabs on City and PSG. Well, as we're now hearing, apparently these guys were sort of... Um, where, where we're giving PSG and Man City free passes. So my thing, the Super League, I believe, is the right punishment for how football has has been allowed to run amok. It's had to happen. It should happen because this is where football has, has ended because you've allowed these monopolies to grow. The Premier League is still so much so competitive, but my gosh, the more money that are city pumping, if they can just keep Pep there for longer and they keep increasing their loan system and their, and their players, you won't be able to compete with Man City. Mourinho has said, look, we can't compete with the kind of money that these guys are spending. So... A Super League makes sense. Syria, what, what's the point of me watching the, the Syria when we all know who's going to win, win that league? What's the point of me watching the league when we all know who's going to win that league? In the European Super League, at least it's a bit more interesting because in a Super League with Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juve, PSG, it's going to be a bit, a bit more difficult to see which, is, which team is going to win on a consistent basis based on these teams that are both equal in quality and somewhat equal in spending power. My main idea is that, you know what, all of you rich dudes, go together in your own private place and have your own league. If you're going to police how much money is spent, then fair enough, you shouldn't have a super league. If you're not going to do it, 
please have a super league. I beg you, have it. Have a super league. If you're not going to place how money is being spent. I'm, I'm kind of torn in, in some way because as, as people who like create content in some ways, whether you're a writer, you're a podcaster, you do YouTube, whatever, having like a, a game, 10 games every week that are like star-studded, the biggest names of football, like that's going to drive people to your content, to your website, to your whatever. So a part of me is like, yo, if every week on the podcast we could come over here and talk about like Juventus playing Chelsea or Man United playing Barcelona like every week, hey, that's going to create content for me. So that I, I can see it in that way, like just selfishly. But just looking at just the game in general, like how would I put this? I'm, I'm for a Super League, but only like maybe as a replacement to the Champions League. That's the only way that I would ever accept this. If they're like, look, we're going to do away with the Champions League and we're going to take 16, 18 teams that have decided that they want to be in the Super League. And y'all just play y'all games on Tuesday, Wednesday, and y'all have y'all own table and we can do it that way and just scrap the Champions League idea. Maybe that could work for in my mind. But the idea that like the top five teams in Premier League are going to go and they can't be relegated and – Real Madrid and uh, Barcelona are going to leave La Liga and they can't be relegated. And, like, if you win La Liga, what happens to you? Like, there's no Champions League for you to go to. It's just greed. You know what I mean? Like, are you willing to ruin what's been around for 100 years, basically? Yes. Just so you guys can have your money? Like, really? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And that's exactly what's happening. Yes. It's the reality. Like, these rich dudes so what football was becoming and this is going to become the biggest um sporting thing in the world we have to be in on it and there's so much money involved and when when money is, is, is involved human human beings can't help themselves i don't know because it's only going to get worse there's only going to be more and more money and more and more owners are going to be like no i want my team i want my 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 team and okay premier league is fine because it's still as i said again so much competitive i don't get the argument against the Super League when you look at what has happened in the Syria. I don't get an argument against the Super League when we've seen what's happened in the League League on. I think the argument very much is, I think the Super League will effectively put to bed the argument that football clubs care about home and away people, people who go and watch football in the stadium. Once you get a Super League, you are categorically saying, we put TV money first and foremost above everything else. I maybe watch four or five games live a season. Hope I don't know the last football game you watched in the stadium. We are not home and away. We do not plan our entire weekends around going to watch a football site. Mm-hmm. We do not. It's not just home and away. You know, it's also home and away is in going to a local pub and having a local where you like to watch a football game. We do not have those experiences. I'm, you know, I'm speaking very much from my English football fan consumption point, right? And I think once you get the Super League, you are basically going, yeah, we just want to charge you 80, 90 quid wherever possible to make you watch these games. And it really, it really does just believe that no one who supported, no one, no one supports Wigan expected Wigan to win the FA Cup in 2013. Like, right. A key part of football is hope, right? You, you support your football team. We support top 1% football clubs. Most people don't. Most people, well, I'd say most people, 1% of people apparently support Man United. Some nonsense. A lot of people don't. A lot of people support teams that we don't talk about every single week on this podcast. A lot of people support Watford or Newcastle or Sunderland or Wigan or or Portsmouth or Plymouth and whatnot. And you watch them not because they're good or the standard quality is good, but you watch it because family reasons, proximity reasons and whatnot. But also you watch it as a as as a vessel for hope, uh, as a as a vessel for for I'm gonna I know this is kind of bad, but one day we might be kind of good. And that one year where they're kind of good is incredible. I, I I never ever expected England to reach a World Cup semi-final in my lifetime. I was so excited during that World Cup. And I think a Super League just removes that chunk. Because once you get a Super League, that's it. You can't you can't have a Leicester City title run anymore, can you? You can't have Ipswich finishing fifth in the Premier League after they got promoted once. You can't have those amazing Carabao Cup runs. You can't have those amazing FA Cup runs because all the big boys, the real big boys, have shut up shop and gone somewhere else because they don't care. They don't care about you. And I think the reveal of the Super League is categorical proof that these clubs don't care about us anymore. And that is incredibly disheartening. So while I agree with you, Hope, that there should be a Super League because all these teams should just piss off and go away, <laughs> isn't, isn't, it, isn't it kind of sad that we're at that point? 
Of course, yeah. yeah. I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Like, if, if they want to go off and create a Super League and absolutely treat most people in football like commodities that aren't mm. worth anything, they should go off and do that and leave us alone. I'm a realist. Like, the angle I'm coming from is that you've so already priced out so much, so, so many of the fans. You so already disrespected a lot of the fans with some of the things that you're doing that this Super League thing wasn't surprising. It wasn't shocking. I was like, yeah. Put it this way, I will be very surprised. Again, I don't know how long I'll be around on this, but I'll be very surprised if by 2025, 2027, there isn't a Super League. I'll, I'll be shocked based on the amount of money that's being that's involved in football right now, the amount of people and business involved. I'll be very surprised if by 2025, 2027, you don't have a European Super League where there are ads upon ads upon ads and there's a specific, particular digital platform you have to subscribe to each month to watch these games and give get them more ideas, access bro. to stuff. Hmm? <laughs> You're just giving them good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's not even a good idea. It's like, it's going to happen. Like, it's if you happen. pay attention to media and everything, that is where football... I'll be shocked if, it's, if it doesn't end up there. I'll be shocked. We spoke, we've, we've spoken about this before when I mentioned a Rory Smith article about how it's not just... Juventus winning Serie A six times, six, seven times in a row. It's not just PSG winning League 1 all the time, but also it affects the smaller leagues that have one Champions League qualification place. If you are the... Uh, Olympiacos or... Yeah, if you're Olympiacos, if you're Young Boys, if you're FC Basel, if you're, if you're Club Bruges or Anderlecht, you just win that league all the time because you're the only one that's going to get Champions League money. You're the only one that's going to get that Europa League money. And that makes you four or five times richer than the team that finishes seventh. This is rank inequality from head to toe. And this footy league thing is especially sad because FFP, financial fair play, was brought in supposedly to make sure clubs spent did not spend more than what they earned. It was meant to bring balance um, <laughs> to, to football. And Bones now and course. now it was long room that actually no it wasn't. What it just did was stop any club getting bought by a billionaire exactly. and the billionaire spending loads of money. So actually what was protect, meant to make things fair actually made it harder for any club that got a massive cash injection later on. And now with this footy links thing, we have proof that the now current FIFA president went, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you can get around FFP. If we sat Sam Allardyce for drinking a pint of wine for saying certain things when he was England manager, Infantino should be fired right now for what he did at Manchester. For how long bad? live Blatter? Long live Blatter. <laughs> that won't be, yeah, yeah. How, how bad was Seth Blatter really? <laughs> if this guy's out here giving Man City and PSG free checks. <laughs> Blake like, checks, sorry. Seriously, no, no, no. Seriously, like, basically, look, again, this is all alleged. I don't want to convince And this guy's but... ruining the World Cup to boot. No, 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 no. Look, put it this way. If the Infantino thing is true, everybody needs to apologize to Blatter. Because... I will always. You know uh, why? You, you don't have to apologize. No. I'll have... always support Blatter because he fought for no. a World Cup in Africa. No. Say all he wants about him. He wasn't perfect. <laughs> Everybody uh -huh. said, no, don't give it to that African nation. Like, let's have it. No. Like, let's, let's have it. He fought for a World Cup in South Africa. And again, he I'm not. He did not fight for a World Cup in South Africa. Let's find an extra. He fought to secure himself a bigger bag. So, <laughs> no one's perfect. No, 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 perfect, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want you to be perfect. I just want you to, to think about something perfect. other than yourself. Just think about something other than yourself. And Blatter never did. So therefore, I will not give Blatter credit for the South Africa. No, 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 you have to, yeah, look, 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 a guy has, has to eat me. He has to provide for his, his family and himself. <laughs> I'm pretty sure his, uh, his FIFA salary was okay without the bribes, you know. Are you sure? But yeah. Expenses, costs. Hopefully it doesn't happen. We'll be here to cover it. Yeah, this has been the Talking Tactics Podcast. Remember, we do this every Tuesday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, if you would. Um, if you're listening on an Apple device, you could subscribe. It's free. We don't charge yet. Spotify as well. If you're on Spotify, please follow us there. Um, Carl, where, where can people get you? Anchorman616. Half Hope, where can the people get you one time? That's Half Hope Hot. I'm at Daniel to look. Did you realize two hottest field players yet? Schindler. Aaron Moy? Yeah, you got two. That might be the only one I know. I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. Talk attack this podcast. Sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always for more love. Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace out. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.